0: Okay, church, I am so excited to dig into Acts chapter two. Uh, It's in this chapter that God sends his Holy Spirit. And in this chapter, we see that our God keeps his promises, that he empowers our witness, and that he is worthy of the worship of all people. So if this is your first time with us or you're connecting with us and you haven't been along on this journey through the book of Acts. We're in the third message in the book of Acts. We're starting Acts chapter two. And just to give you a little bit of a recap and kind of catch you up to speed, what's happened is the resurrected Lord Jesus has just spent 40 days with his disciples. He's taught them all about the kingdom of God. And then he he tells them, the Holy Spirit is gonna come upon you. You're gonna have power to be my witnesses in all the world. And right as he finishes saying that, he ascends up into heaven, just floats up on a cloud. And um, he, it's, it is amazing. He tells his disciples, I want you to wait in Jerusalem. So that's what they go, they, they go and they wait in Jerusalem. Last week we talked about how when they gathered in Jerusalem in that upper room, that those disciples devoted themselves to prayer, to the authority of scripture, And they took comfort in the fact that we serve a sovereign God, that he's in control of everything, even a betrayer from within the ranks, Judas, who betrayed the Lord Jesus and sold him for 30 pieces of silver. That God is in control of all that. So they prayed, they sought the scriptures, they trusted in the sovereignty of God, and they selected Judas' replacement, which was Matthias. So we've just spent two weeks on all of that, and now we come to Acts chapter two, where the people of God, the 120, are still gathered, and God is gonna, He's gonna come in a big moment. So as you're uh, finding your place in God's Word in Acts chapter two, um, let me just ask you uh, just something in the way of introduction. Have you ever uh, known someone who overpromises and underdelivers? I don't know, maybe for you, it's, um, it's a, a political figure. You know, we're in election year, and all the time, presidential candidates are promising that they're going to do something, and then they under-deliver. Or maybe you've built a house or done a remodel, reconstruction, something like that, and you've had a contractor that came in and said, hey, here's what I can do for you. And lo and behold, they uh, over-promised and under-delivered. Or maybe you're sitting next to your husband or your wife, and as I'm talking about that, you're thinking, well, they overpromise and underdeliver. <laughs> and uh, maybe you're elbow nudging somebody right now. Stop that. <laughs> um, we know, uh, here's the thing we all have a tendency to overpromise and underdeliver because here's the thing we make promises that sometimes we cannot keep. But what we're going to see from our God today, our King, is that he never does that. He is the promise keeper who, every time he makes a promise, you can count on it. He's faithful, and he's going to keep his promises. So as we read from Acts chapter 2, surely you found your place there by now. Will you uh, stand with me, wherever you are, just stand with me in honor of God's word, and let's read it together. All right, so the text reads like this, verses 1 through 13. It says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared on them and rested on each one of them. were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said, they are filled with new wine. Let's pray. Father, this is your holy word, and through this book, you reveal to us who you are. God, that's our that's our journey today. We just wanna discover our king today. We wanna know you better, love you more, and worship you Uh, more deeply. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, You can be seated. So let's just dig right in. I want to show us at least three truths about our King from this text. So three main truths about our King from this passage. The first one is this. Our King is the promise keeper. As as I've already illustrated, people constantly fail to keep their promises. We always make promises that we are unable to keep, but our God, he never does that. He has infinite resources and he is infinitely wise and he makes a promise he is sure to keep it. In the Old Testament, God promised that he would send his Holy Spirit. In Joel chapter two Um, Peter's going to quote from this passage in just a a few more verses. In his first sermon, he's going to quote from Joel 2 about how God's going to send his Spirit onto all men and all women, uh, all believers, and they're going to prophesy and have dreams and visions, and God is going to use all of his people through the power of his Holy Spirit. God promises that in Joel chapter 2. In John chapter 14, 15, 16, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, I'm going away, I'm going back to the Father, but I'm gonna go and I'm gonna send the Holy Spirit. I'm not gonna leave you as orphans, I'm gonna send to you the Comforter, the Spirit of God. And then just in this chapter, Acts chapter one, in verse five, Jesus makes a promise, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And then Acts 1, eight, he says, Another promise, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will be my witnesses. Those are promises, and they are clear, clear promises. Here's what we know. Our king is the promise keeper. There are also some things about um, his timing, God's timing that we should uh, take note of. First thing is God doesn't work on your timetable. There's a little word in this text in Acts chapter two, um, it's in verse two. It says, "And suddenly, there came from heaven." And here's what we get from that. Um, well, it indicates that these disciples they weren't aware of the exact time that the Spirit would come. They've been waiting now for days, um, together, gathering together, praying, reading Scripture, uh, thinking. Uh, maybe remembering what all Jesus has done, talking, telling stories, but they've been waiting and they didn't know, and then suddenly. So God doesn't work on your timetable. God doesn't work on your timetable. Secondly, though, God's timing is perfect. And I take that from right at the beginning of this text it says, When the day of Pentecost arrived. That day of Pentecost is really significant. Uh, We probably don't pick up on all the things, but I want to give us a few things about Pentecost that are really important. The name Pentecost means 50 days after, and specifically 50 days after Passover. So we should always connect Pentecost, the coming of the Spirit, the blessing and glory of God coming coming on and into man with Passover, The sacrifice and suffering of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, broken and spilled out. Blood broken and spilled out for us. We should always connect Pentecost with Passover. So here's what I want us to do. I want to walk through this really quickly about God's timing being perfect. What we see here at Pentecost is a gospel fulfillment of lots of Old Testament shadows that find now their reality in Jesus Christ. The day of Pentecost, like I said, is significant um, because it, it points us all the way back to Passover, three feasts, really. Passover, then the Feast of Firstfruits, and then Pentecost. Let me explain what those are quickly. Passover, if you remember the book of Exodus, the people of God, the Israelites, are in slavery in Egypt. And the last of 10 plagues is the plague of the death angel. And the death angel was going to pass through. uh, And what God said was, if you take the lamb, kill the lamb and take the blood and paint the blood on the doorpost, then when the death angel passes through, he will pass over that house. But if you don't take the blood of the lamb and apply it to the doorpost of that house, and the death angel will come through, and the firstborn of that home will die. Well, that's exactly what happened. In every home on which the blood was applied, the angel passed over. That's where we get the name Passover. And the people of God were set free by Pharaoh, by God, that uh, because of Passover. Passover. Uh, Pharaoh was so grieved that he had lost his son that he said, get your people and get out of here. And God delivered his people. He set them free by the Passover lamb. And at Passover, now in the New Testament, that's the shadow in Exodus, the New Testament realization is that Jesus Christ is the Passover lamb. His body broken, his blood shed, and wherever the blood is applied, um, there is freedom from sin and freedom from death. We are set free by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what we celebrate. At Passover, we remember the cross. Well, after Passover, uh, the people of Israel celebrated the first fruits harvest, or the first fruits uh, feast, and it was the Sunday right after Passover. Well, for us, that's Resurrection Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. Jesus is the first fruits from the dead is what the New Testament says. He's the first fruits of the resurrection of God, meaning he is uh, the first of what's to come. So when we look to a resurrected Jesus, we know and believe that's what our resurrection will be like. And we take great hope in an empty grave. The empty tomb gives hope because he's the first fruits of a great harvest of souls. That's the first fruits, the feast of first fruits. Well, then that's Sunday after Passover. Well, now we go 50 days from Passover and we celebrate Pentecost. The original Old Testament Pentecost was when Moses went up on Mount Sinai and he met with the Lord and the Lord gave the Ten Commandments. And Moses came down off of Mount Sinai to to uh, tell the people that God had spoken and God had given his law. Well, the people of Israel from that time forward celebrated the giving of the law through uh, the, the Feast of Weeks. So seven weeks from Passover is Pentecost. Feast of Weeks, seven weeks, 49 days plus one, the Sunday is Pentecost, and on that 50th day, they would celebrate the giving of the law. But here's what happened in the Old Testament. Moses came down off the mountain with the law, and what did he find there? Were the people of God worshiping God? No, while Moses was gone on the mountain, they had, um, they had uh, melted their gold and crafted a golden calf and were singing and worshiping this golden calf. They were in the middle of deep idolatry. Moses was heartbroken, and God's judgment came down. When the law was given, the judgment of God came and 3,000 people died. Now that was a shadow. The New Testament gives us the beauty of what was to come. This is the promise that God has has been foretelling all of this time. The redemptive story is that The Spirit of God comes at Pentecost in the New Testament. And the Spirit of freedom and life, not the law, the law that brings death, that exposes sin, but the Spirit brings and gives life. And that's what we see at Pentecost. The Holy Spirit comes, the message of the hope of Christ is proclaimed, and 3,000 souls are brought to eternal life by faith in Jesus Christ. That's powerful and beautiful, and all it shows us today is that God, our King, is the promise keeper. Now, I just want to mention a couple of things in way of um, doing just a little bit of teaching here, uh, because our terms and the way we talk about the Holy Spirit matters. Um, The first thing that comes to my mind is that conversation Jesus had with Nicodemus. In John chapter 3 and verse 8, Jesus compares the Holy Spirit to the wind and he says, you can't know where it's going or where it's come from. Uh, And that's so it is of anyone who's born of the Spirit is what Jesus says. So here's what we know about the Holy Spirit from that one verse is that he's mysterious. Like we can't know everything there is to know about the Holy Spirit. So let's just admit that there are some things we're not going to know. We're not going to be able to figure it out. Let's be humble enough to admit that. And then, secondly, uh, we can't control him. He's like the wind. Who can control the wind? Um, you can't. I can't. We can't know him fully, and we certainly can't control him. So, with that kind of humility, I want to do just a little bit of teaching about the Holy Spirit. There's two different ways that Luke talks about the Holy Spirit right here in chapter one and chapter two. The first thing he says Jesus said, You will be baptized. Not many days from now, baptized in the Spirit. And then in chapter 2, it says, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, those are two uniquely different expressions that we really need to talk about both. To be baptized literally means to be submerged in, right? That's the literal meaning. That's the reason when we baptize somebody, we put them under water. But that's not what's meant here. It's more of a figurative meaning, which is baptism means to be identified with. The New Testament's going to say things like you are baptized into Christ. You're identified with Christ, not submerged under Christ. You are just identified with him. So when Jesus says you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit, he's talking about you'll be identified with Jesus and his body, his church. Now, baptism of the Holy Spirit um, is what happens when you repent and believe in Jesus Christ. And it only happens one time in the life of a believer, in the moment of salvation. You say, well, Justin, how how do you know that? Well, when we read scripture, we always interpret it and come to understand it based on all of scripture, not just one little moment. And especially when we read a book like the book of Acts, we can't We can't build our theology around just this one book, which happens to be um, a unique period in history. Lots of things are happening that are not prescriptive for how they're always going to happen. So when we read things like this, where these followers of Jesus are Christians that do not have the Holy Spirit yet. So we might be tempted to think that there's a way to be a Christian And still need to have some kind of second baptism of the Holy Spirit. But that's not what the Bible teaches. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13, it says that um, Paul links the two. He says, When you believed, you received the Holy Spirit. And then Romans 8, verse 9, specifically makes it really clear. It says, If anyone says he's a Christian but doesn't have the Spirit, he's not a Christian. So what he's painting for us is this hypothetical that you can be a Christian and not have the Spirit of God. That's not true. If you are a Christian, you have been baptized in the Holy Spirit. That's a work of God. God does it to you when you repent and believe in Christ. That's what baptism of the Spirit means. Now, to be filled with the Spirit is something uniquely different. This is something not... It doesn't just happen one time. It happens repeatedly in the life of a believer. As we submit to Christ, and as we are um, letting the word of Christ dwell in us richly, God is filling us with his spirit. And as he does, the overflow comes out. And we'll get to that in a moment. But to be filled with the spirit re- is a reference to the power that God gives us to serve and to witness to Christ. A believer can be filled with the Spirit many times, God willing. I pray for you that you'll be filled with the Spirit today, this week, that His Spirit will fill you and He'll use you in gospel ways. That He would use us, church. That's what we want. And that's the filling of the Holy Spirit. So one thing we should note in the New Testament, there's never an exhortation that we should seek the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But all through the New Testament, we're exhorted to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. That's a constant exhortation. So just to make those things clear, baptism is salvation, filling is the empowering, and it's a a constant, ongoing reality. But we're baptized in the Spirit just once. One baptism, many fillings. I hope that uh, makes that really clear. One more statement about that that just might help. Um, To be baptized in the Spirit is to belong to Christ's body. But to be filled with the Spirit means your body is controlled by Christ. Paul, remember, he said, in view of God's mercy, let's present our bodies as living sacrifices. And in this text, when the Spirit of God fills these men and women, uh, God takes control of their tongues and they begin to speak in languages they don't know. That's what we're talking about here. So when God sends his Spirit, he is showing us that he is the promise keeper. I love that. Now that's our first truth. Our second truth, um, moving quickly right through, is this. Our king empowers our witness our king empowers our witness acts 1.8 the bible says you will receive power when the holy spirit's come upon you and you will be my witnesses that's right so the holy spirit empowers our witness this new testament church had none of the things that we tend to think are essential for a booming ministry. You know, they didn't have a snazzy movie theater to meet in and beautiful colored LED lights and um, fog on the stage and that worship leader with the skinny jeans. Like, no, the New Testament church didn't have any of those things. But you know what they had? The Holy Spirit of God. Church, here's what we need to know. We cannot manufacture a move of God. We cannot do it. But what we can do is rely and depend completely on the Holy Spirit. And so I want to call us to be a church that leans into the only power source we need, the Holy Spirit of God. There is power, power, for anyone who participates in God's mission. If you yield your life to the mission of God, He will empower you to do it. You'll see God do crazy things if you live dependent on his Holy Spirit. Here's one thing I want us to see about this empowering of the Spirit, and this is so beautiful, I'm just gonna scratch the surface here, but the filling of the Spirit consistently leads to people speaking. So I want you to think of it like the overflow the filling of the Spirit is filling, 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 and then it overflows right out the mouth. In the New Testament, that's what we see constantly in the book of Acts. You're going to see that those phrases linked, and he was filled with the Spirit, and he spoke. Filled with the Spirit, and he spoke, and in Acts 2, they're filled with the Spirit, and they speak as the Spirit gave them utterance, is what the Bible says, and the crazy thing is they're speaking languages. The Greek word there is dialectos, which is where we get our word dialects. They're speaking literal languages that they did not know. This, this is not some babbling. This is this is literal languages of different ethnicities and nationalities around the world, and they're speaking languages that were not in their mind. It would be as if, as if you started speaking Cantonese or Mandarin or Lebanese, some you spoke a language all of a sudden that you have never spoken in your life. That's what's happening and it's empowered by the Holy Spirit. I want you to see something though. What's the content of their message? Like what's coming out of their mouth? And here's what we need to know. The Holy Spirit empowers your worship and your witness. Oh, when the Spirit of God gets a hold of you, what comes out of your mouth is first to the glory of God. I love what we see in verse 11. The crowd is gathered because they're hearing this noise of 120 people um, speaking loudly in all different languages. It's wild. And they're hearing that noise, so they've gathered and they're they're listening. They go, I can't believe he's, they're speaking my language. I understand what they're saying. And here's what they're saying. The Bible says in verse 11, We hear them telling in our own tongue the mighty works of God. Now, I don't know if you see that, but that's praise. That's speaking about how good our God is. It's a declaration of his glory. That's what the Spirit empowers is your worship. He empowers your worship. Oh, there's nothing, church, like the sound of hearts expressing loving praise to a glorious God. This genuine and passionate affection for God from satisfied souls is the best witness to Jesus Christ. Genuine, passionate affection for God is the best witness for Jesus Christ. Are people drawn to love Jesus because of your love for Jesus? Is your worship um, of Christ contagious? I want to challenge you. That's what Spirit-filled worship looks like. The second thing the Spirit empowers in us is our witness, and we're going to talk way more about this next week. Peter is about to preach a powerful sermon, and uh it's, he's about to address this crowd as they've gathered, but it's not just about his message. It's also about the messengers. So look who's, uh, who's talking here. The, the crowd that's gathered, they're amazed at the messengers as well. And they say, are not all of these who are speaking Galileans in verse seven? And they're, they're stumbling over that because what they see is Galileans, who are not known for their massive education and scholarship, but these Galileans are speaking in all different languages and speaking passionately and boldly in different dialects. And they're amazed because it's those people that are doing that powerful thing. And this is the beauty of uh, our witness, is this. We witness to the gospel of grace. Two things I wanna say here. Grace is this, you get what you don't deserve and God shows out, he shows his power through your weakness. So um, the first thing, you get what you don't deserve. Peter's going to preach a message in a moment, he's going to make it really clear. Anyone who repents of your sin and trusts in Christ will be saved. Anyone, no matter who you are, what you've done, where you're from, that doesn't matter. Jesus Christ has died for your sin and he is offering you forgiveness and salvation. If you will repent and trust in Christ, you will be forgiven. That's the gospel of grace. It's one of the reasons I love going to our local jail because everybody's telling them what they deserve. And I love to get to go in and say, you don't deserve it, but God's freely giving his forgiveness through Jesus Christ. I love to give grace love it because I'm a recipient of grace. You see, I don't deserve anything, but Christ has been so gracious to me. And this is what's beautiful about this message is the messengers themselves are so weak. Church, listen, it is your weakness that proclaims the strength of our God. Are they not Galileans? Are you not worthless or You don't know what to say, but you boldly proclaim the beauty of God anyway. That's the beauty of this message, is it's not about your strength, it's about His strength. And your weakness puts His power on display. The Holy Spirit empowers our worship, He empowers our witness. Our King, lastly, our King, will be worshipped among all the nations. He will be worshipped among all nations. This gospel message of hope in Christ is intended for all people. In this passage, Luke gives us 15 different nationalities that are named. And the point there is not the, not the significance of each particular geographical location. That's not the point. The point is it's all people of all nations under heaven. That's what he said earlier in chapter two, verse five, every nation under heaven. The point is all people everywhere. It's the same point Jesus was making in Acts 1.8 when he said Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. It's the same point Jesus was making in Matthew 28, 19 and 20 when he says, I want you to go make disciples of all the nations. That word nations, by the way, is not geopolitical. It's not something you could draw on a map. It's the word ethnos, ethne, which means all people groups, all the different peoples. This gospel of grace is not limited to any particular group. It's not limited to just the Jews. That's one of the things Jesus is teaching his followers in this moment, is that he wants to give his spirit to all the nations. He wants new life, new birth, and he wants the worship of all peoples, everywhere we saw earlier um, the gospel fulfillment of of what passover first fruits and pentecost is all about and right here we see the gospel reversal i don't know if you're super familiar with the story of the tower of babel but uh, what happened there is the people are trying to build their way to god they're building a tower trying to get to the heavens and they want to make a name for themselves and God looks down on those people and he uh, judges them by confusing their languages and scattering them around the world. That's where we get all the various cultures and ethnicities that we have today is through the scattering at the Tower of Babel. It's where we get the different languages is from Babel. So here's a couple of contrasts. I want you to see this great reversal from Babel to Pentecost. So At Babel, God confused man's languages so that they couldn't understand. At Pentecost, God gave miraculous speech and clarity so that people could understand. At Babel, God's judgment scattered the people. At Pentecost, God's mercy gathered the people. At Babel, the people sought praise for their own name. And at Pentecost, God's people brought praise to his great name. At Babel, the tower was built in rebellion and self-reliance. And at Pentecost, God's kingdom is being built in humble submission to his will. This is the the great gospel reversal, that God is making all things new. He's restoring what he uh, confused. He's bringing about clarity at Pentecost what we see here is a glimpse of the future kingdom to come. We read Revelation 4 and Revelation 7. What you see is that gathered around the throne of King Jesus are going to be people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. There's going to be a picture, beautiful mosaic of diversity in the kingdom of God. So church, here's what I want us to know practically from this. Practically speaking is I want us to be a church that goes to, that extends the gospel to, that welcomes in people from all people, all places, all languages, all ethnicities, all races. I want us to represent the kingdom of God on earth. Whatever the the ethnic expression in our local community, that should be the ethnic expression of our local church. Because our local church should be a portrait of the eternal kingdom. So begin praying with me. What would it look like? How could we be more intentional with our gospel ministry to reach out to people of different ethnicities and backgrounds, to to see our Hispanic community um, come to faith in Christ and and come into fellowship and and come into partnership with the gospel, to see more African-American brothers and sisters join our fellowship and, and to be a part of the kingdom here through his local church? Now we're not there yet. We're not there yet, but I pray for God to do it among us. Would you join me in praying for more more beautifully diverse kingdom expression in our local congregation? So there's three things I want to conclude just with a recap quickly. Three things about our king, here they are. Our king keeps his promises. You can count on that. And here's two things he promises. He promises grace to anyone who repents of sin and trusts in Jesus. He promises grace. He promises justice and judgment for anyone who rejects him. So it's one or the other. You're gonna receive, repent and receive, or reject. And God is faithful to keep his promises. Secondly, our king empowers our worship and our witness through the Holy Spirit. So, church, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's exhibit the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Let's speak the words of the Holy Spirit. Let's proclaim the glories of God and the gospel of grace. May our affection for Christ be contagious. Lastly, our King is worthy of worship among all. All peoples, all peoples. There's not a person on this planet that our king doesn't deserve their wholehearted worship. So what about you? In our text, in Acts chapter two, people respond differently to this movement of the Holy Spirit. They're seeing the power of God and hearing the power of God, but people respond very differently. If you look, it says that some were amazed and they leaned in and asked questions. And yet some were mocking. And they said, well, they must be filled with wine. They're drunk. So there's really two ways to respond when, you, when you've experienced or seen the power of God. There's two ways to respond. You can be amazed and you can lean in and ask questions and look for God to, to give those answers and to, to rescue your heart. You can be amazed and lean in or you can mock, be mocking and push away and continue to build your own tower. Usually uh, that's very subtle you know you won't you won't find many people in in our culture that are mocking God, you know like the the imagery in my mind is Lieutenant Dan on that ship in Forrest Gump, the movie. Maybe you remember when he's kind of mocking and cursing God in a very bold and brash way. There's not many people who talk to God that way. Maybe they're scared to, I don't know. But not many people do that. But here's what we do. We subtly think we have all the answers, you know. Oh, those people, they're just filled with wine people in our culture today what they're saying is oh that god thing you know that's just the way you put some salve on your conscience make yourself feel better it's just the way you know it's good for people to have some hope you know that's we pray because you know we, we that's that's a good thing you know to it's a good thing no it's not about it's a good thing it's about there's a king and he's worthy of worship are you seeing what king jesus is doing he's building his kingdom the spirit of god has come The Spirit of God has come, and he is building his kingdom. And we are kingdom people. Church, I'm praying for a mighty move of the Spirit of God, and I hope you'll join me in that. What I want to do now is just move into a time of worship. Our our team's going to lead us in worship one more time. As they do, which one are you? Are you amazed by the move of God, or are you uh, mocking and building your own your own tower. I pray that you will lean in, ask the questions, and find yourself baptized in and filled with the Holy Spirit.